0: All right, so tonight we will be talking about the throne of grace. You know, last week we talked about saving grace and I was in talking with Pastor Todd yesterday we were talking and we were, we were talking about grace and and he and he, as we were talking he said, "Man, that that topic is so inexhaustible." So last week was we talked about saving grace and this week we're talking about the throne of grace, which is a mini series inside of His grace series (laughs) and then we will be doing another message on grace, not this Sunday, but next. Okay, so I know he said that it, it closed it, but he was like, why don't we reopen it and keep going? And I agree with that. Praise God. You can never get enough of understanding grace. So as we continue on, let's look at. Heaven. Let's look at what it will be like when we stand before God. I want to go so in depth in this. So I don't, I'm not going to say I'm going to keep you a while, but we're going to, we're going to deal with a lot of stuff. Do you mind doing that? You want to deal with a lot of stuff? You want to know what's coming in the future? You want to know what you're going to see with your eyes and what we're going to be accountable for and all those things? I want to go so in deep in depth that we feel the wind of heaven on our skin. Wouldn't that be nice? That you can picture yourself ascending through the, the clouds, past the second heavens, and into the throne room of God. You know, during this time, it's, we always get to the end of the year, and we start wanting to make adjustments at the, at, for the beginning of the year. It's always good to do self-evaluation. You know, at the beginning of the year, people rush off, they get on the treadmill, they, they lift all kind of weights, they go to the store, they spend hours reading calories off of boxes and making sure it doesn't have gluten and wheat for a body that's going to perish. But we don't take the time to in- internalize our spiritual life. You know, this is a good time to look at what exactly are we doing for the Lord and what is our motive and whatnot. Am I doing anything for the Lord? Am I investing in the things that matter? You know, we're going to talk a little bit about death too. You know, because we always go to funerals and we talk about death and the person is in the casket and they don't really get to hear about it. They're just kind of experiencing it. But, uh, you know, but when we teach on death or we talk about death, death is a good thing if you are a Christian. You know, it's the reuniting of, with God Almighty. We're going to reunite with God one way or the other. One out of one person dies unless the trump sounds and we go to meet the Lord. You know, we're living in a time where anything that can be shaken will be shaken, the Bible says. So it is to our benefit that we begin detaching our hearts now instead of storing up things that moth and rust can, can take, thieves can take and remove from us, which we already see that happening. You can take that how you want. <laughs> okay, never mind. But, okay, the throne of God. I've, I've talked about this before, I want to give you a brief explanation again. When you stand before God, you who are saved will see beauty that is unspeakable and full of glory. In Revelation chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, the Bible talks about in heaven, there is a throne of God. It is surrounded by a rainbow. And out of the throne is coming flashes of lightning and sounds of thunder. Now, what is exactly that? Well, when you think about the symbolism, a rainbow means covenant. Thunder and lightning tells you that something is coming. So when we stand before God, we see covenant. We see his warning that he's constantly warning the world. He's constantly warning the earth that, hey, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Now, that's what we see because we're in covenant with God. But when you get to the end of Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, it says, I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. So we will stand before God at what they call the Bema Seat Judgment. And we will stand before God and we will give an account for our works. Revelation 20 is the great white throne judgment. And now, now notice, it's great, it's white, which means purity. There is no rainbow, there is no thunder, no lightning. No more warning, no more covenant. And that takes place after the thousand year reign of Christ. So in other words, we're living right now. There's a seven-year tribulation. After the seven-year tribulation comes a 1,000 years. After that 1,000 years, people that have died apart from Christ will be taken out of Hades, stand before God, only to be formally sentenced and to be cast away into the lake of fire, which is the second death. So that's why I say there's no covenant. That's why it's just great and white. Does everybody understand that? We who are saved will see beauty. We will see a rainbow. We will enter into his presence with joy and thanksgiving. So I just wanted to bring you up to speed with that. Okay, so that's two separate events. You know, I'm reminded of a story of an apartment building that was in a skyscraper and the bottom floors were on fire and the people at the top were just partying, not knowing that this building was being engulfed in flames. What does that tell us? That we do not know how long we have. We don't know if we're going to walk out these doors and step into eternity or we don't know if we're going to hear the trump. The, the, the point is we should always be mindful of the things of God. Death will either be our promotion papers or our pink slip. So when you stand before God, see for the Christian, death is different. We trade worldly wealth for eternal riches. We trade mortality for immortality. We trade tears for joy. We trade, we trade pain for special abilities and supernatural abilities. We, 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 we get away from temporary separation and go to eternal reuniting. See, Satan has no power when it comes to death for a Christian. You know, he comes and he tells us, oh, this and that. But really for us, we have to look at what the Bible says about death. You know, Jesus was not scared of death. Jesus Christ conquered death, hell, and the grave. Satan has no power over you in death. If Satan could have killed you, he'd have did it a long time ago. So knowing that, what is death? It's called the departure. In 2 Timothy 4, 6, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and my time of departure has come. Luke nine thirty and 32. I'm sorry, 31. And behold, two men were t- talking with him, and they were speaking of Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure. So when Moses and Elijah showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration, they were talking about the cross. They were talking about the death of Jesus. Now, the word departure is where we get the word exodus. It's to go from one place to another. If you remember the story of Exodus, the children were in, the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt. And they crossed through the sea and went across on dry ground and entered into the eternal promises. That tells us that our heavenly Moses, Jesus Christ, will come and take us through what separates us from the eternal promises of God that we can see and grasp in heaven. And we will be ushered in to the presence of God. Jesus also called it sleep. Remember when he showed up at the synagogue ruler's home with a young girl who was, who was dead. And Jesus said, why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died but is asleep. Now imagine that. That kind of seems, Jesus, where's the compassion? But Jesus had a view. If you're the conqueror of something, you're not scared of it. You're not worried about it. Our circumstances are like lions roaring at us, but a shadow of a lion will not bite you. That's how God, when God sees down, he doesn't see, the, he doesn't see really the problem. He sees the solution and our reaction. And when we reach out by faith, we get the answer because faith pleases God. Now think about this, the story with Lazarus, the, the, uh, Jesus' friend. He said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awake him. And then they, they questioned, they were like, what do you mean Sleeping. And Jesus plainly told them, Lazarus has died. Remember this with Paul when he's talking in Thessalonians, for we shall not all sleep, talking about death. Now, there's no such thing as soul sleep. You know, there's some people that believe that when you when you die, your you're spirit and it stays in the ground with the body. That's absolutely unbiblical. Unbiblical. Because when you think about it, the thief on the cross, when he died, Jesus said, today you would be with me in paradise. When Stephen was being stoned, he asked the Lord, Lord, receive my spirit. Remember that? Paul, in 2 Corinthians 5, eight, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The bottom line is, one day, God will call for us, and it will either be the vehicle of death, or it will be the trump of God. But either way, this collapsing tent will stay, and we will go and be with the Lord. That's why if you were to go dig up a grave, I don't mean to sound whatever. <laughs> That's kind of awkward. Don't do that, by the way. The body is still there, but the soul and spirit is with the Lord. At the rapture of the church, the body comes out to be re- reunited with the soul and spirit, and they get, you get a glorified, supernatural body. That will be awesome. Amen. Others that aren't, you I mean, you must have a, a good built, rock solid body. But either if you're, you know, if you're not happy with it here, you will be very happy with it there. Okay, just, just, you know, just throwing that out there. But either way, God will give us the grace to face death head on. For loved ones, He will give you the grace. You know, I was I remember when Pastor Brad died talking to Miss Joy, she was sitting right here in the front row, and she said, I now know what it means by having the sufficiency of grace. Meaning that she knew she was being sustained with grace. Remember, Paul said, don't grieve as those who have no hope. Those who have no hope. Many of you have lost loved ones, parents, friends, children. Listen, there's no time in eternity. So when we pass on, I tend to think that someone will come, we will go right behind them if you think about it, because we measure time this way, and God measures time this way. It's you know, it's He's not hemmed into a time period as we are. He dwells in eternity. And eternity has no end. You know, so I want to encourage you with that. I don't know, maybe it's just me that been thinking about you know, death and, and whatnot during these times of time of, of year, because, you know, people tend to deal with that and they grieve. And and so I always look at that, you know, obviously dealing with with people, family members. So I always try to think about that and always encourage myself to have hope. There's always hope when you're in with the Lord. So at death, angels will come and take you or take that person and escort them into the presence of God. You, we know this by the, the story of Rich Man, the Rich Man and Lazarus. Jesus used names. This was not a story. This was an actual account. So I said all that to say, death for the Christian is our promotion. Now imagine ascending into the glory of heaven. With the wind at your face and the joy in your heart at what you're about to see. I mean, I think about that always, just the going up, seeing those huge gates as they open up, seeing streets of gold, seeing the, the biblical patriarchs, seeing our family, seeing children that we lost. Can you imagine how how awesome that will be? We will know everyone; everyone will know us. It says we will know as we have been known. That means. Think about the closest relationship that you have here on this earth. You can tell each other anything. You 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 love this person. Imagine having that with everyone because you have perfect knowledge. You will you will feel so close to Paul. You will feel so close to Moses. You will feel so close to all of these people because, listen, the kingdom of God in eternity, when you think about eternity, eternity, the Bible says we will have eternal life, which is now all the way in through heaven. You remember the story with the Mount of Transfiguration again? Remember Peter knew who they were? The Holy Spirit had given him discernment. There was no Facebook. Moses didn't have an Instagram account that was deactivated, but he knew exactly who they were. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? Listen, the Bible says that we will inherit mansions of glory. If you're like me, you don't even know what you like. Do I want, you know, is wood floors? Is it this? Is it that? Listen, the architect of the ages knows exactly what you like, and he will have that prepared. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come and receive you unto myself. And there where I am, you will be also. That Man, that's so exciting. Think about it. Death is one of the most scary, mysterious things. If you can take the sting out of it. Yes, we're supposed to miss them. That means they impacted our lives in a great way. But listen, when you believe in the rapture of the church, this thing can wind up and you don't have to mourn for 30, 40, 50 years. This thing can be over and everything that you are worried about is over. And we are standing in the presence of God. Now let's look at the text tonight. 2 Corinthians 5:10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad. Now when you look at this verse, it's, it's easy to say, okay, whether good or bad. But look at it in context. Number one, who is doing the judgment? Remember, he, Jesus said this in John. For even the Father ju- does not judge anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. That means Jesus, our beloved Savior, our big brother, is the one that will do the judging. See, he is savior of the world today, and he is judge tomorrow. Isn't it refreshing to know that the one who shed his blood is the very one who understands our weakness, who understands the things that we go through, and he will be the one that we will be standing before. Now, as it recalled, as it's regarding the judgment of sin, We will not be judged as far as eternal punishment and separation because he he bore that that penalty on the cross. Remember in 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, Paul would say when he's in that Mamertine prison about to be beheaded, he said, I fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the course. In the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness in which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me, But to those who love his appearing, do you love his appearing? You will get the crown of righteousness. See, Paul had no fear of his life prior to Christ. Remember, Paul was going around killing Christians. He was, he was going around trying to destroy the church, but he has no fear whatsoever. Why? Because the blood of Jesus washes our sins, drowns them in the, di- in the deep sea of forgetfulness, and is thrown as far as the east is from the west. Remember, we talked about that last week. Point number two, we will be judged thoroughly, the good or the bad. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, we must all appear. That word appear means to be laid bare before Christ. It means to be opened from the inside out. Not physically. It's not going to be any type of surgery. But he will be able to see. Listen, that's a good thing or it's a bad thing. If you think about it. See, a lot of times we're not even sure what's in our own heart. Amen? Psalms 139. 23 through 24, David prayed, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. You see, we can deceive ourselves, but do we take the time to say, Okay, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I following God? Why, why, why am I allowing this in my life? Remember in Proverbs 16, it says, all the ways of man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. It's a lot of scripture tonight. <laughs> First Corinthians 4.4. Listen what Paul said. Paul, the apostle, Paul, the writer of three quarters of the New Testament. I am not conscious of anything against myself. I feel blameless. But I'm not vindicated and acquitted before God on that account. It is the Lord himself who examines or judges me. Now, I said all that to say, be honest with yourself. Do you check yourself on a regular basis with the Lord? Do you spend time and say, Lord, what is lurking on the inside of me? God, what in my life is not pleasing? I'd rather know that here than get there and and know that. Not out of fear, but out of disappointment. Listen, man, we jot and tittle calories. There's apps on your phone. You can track every glass of water you ate, you drank, every food that you eat. You can paleo, Whole30, all of these things. And like I said, it's all for a body that is decaying. But we take no time to look at our spiritual lives. That's the point that I want to bring out tonight. You know, it's not a fussing type thing. It's a reality check in the life of a Christian. You see, because we have the grace of God in our lives. We operate fully and totally under the grace of God. But that is not a license or an excuse, as Pastor Todd said Sunday. It's not a it's not a license to just sit here and and you know get, get in hot tub Christianity where you know it's it's like a religious country club and we just kick back and wait on the Lord. We need to be at work for the Lord, not because you know God's a you know up up in heaven saying y'all better do this and get right and do this, but because we're so thankful of what He did for us, and we want people around us to experience the same thing. 2 Corinthians 5.10. I want to read it to you in the Amplified. For we must all appear and be revealed as we are before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive his pay according to what he has done in the body, whether good or evil, considering what his purpose and motive have been, what he has achieved, been busy with, given himself and his attention to accomplishing, therefore being conscious of fearing the Lord with respect and reverence, we seek to win people over and persuade them now the context of that is the bima seed so so we're looking at our heart we're examining ourselves and we're saying lord what do you want me to do lord what is what is the stumbling block that i have in my own life that is keeping me from your from your work remember we we talked about this sometimes back but it's like you know the heisman trophy you know you're sitting here and you're watching this person that is is up for the Heisman, and they're showing all of their greatest runs. Say it's a running back. Say it's Leonard Fournette. It's not. It was Derrick Henry. But That road tide guy's not here. Okay. <laughs> it's a joke. But think about this. Okay, you're watching a highlight reel. The coach is watching this thing. And, you know, we see a running back run through a hole. You know, Lon was a running back, running through the hole, and maybe he got 10, 10 yards or whatever, but the coach is watching and saying, man, if you'd have hit this hole, you would have got 30 yards. You know, so don't think it's a condemning thing. It's, it's not a condemning thing. It's it's something that the Lord, you know, the Bible says we got to give an account. That means we have to answer for the things that he gave us to do. Every good thing that you have ever done In the name of the Lord will be brought up before you. No small thing will be overlooked. Those you helped and never announced will be shouted from the housetop by the master. Matthew 6, 2 and 4. I'm going to read it to you. When you give to someone in need, do not do as the hypocrites do. Blowing trumpets in the synagogue and the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They will receive all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Giving giving gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. I looked this up in the Greek about blowing trumpets. You never guess what this word is in our modern translation today. It's the word social media. That's not true. (laughs) Oh, come on. That was a total joke. But listen, when you do something, don't go post it on Facebook. Because if you get three likes, is that worth more than the reward that you get in heaven? I don't want to meddle, but if you think about it. Because it says, I tell you the truth, they will receive all the reward they will ever get. That means when you announce it. Hey, guys. Man. The Lord really used me today. Let me tell you what he did. Man, God is so faithful. You know, that whole, I hope none of y'all use that terminology. If not, I don't mean anything by it. God knows the motive. You know the motive. Work that out with the Lord. But I'm saying the resolve and the reverence to say, God, this is a jewel that I want to present to you because you have been so faithful in my life. I can't believe y'all thought that was social media. Really? But listen, grace is not some big teddy bear that you just wrap on. Or, you know, like the sheets. You just get under the sheets and grace is this big comforter that you just put upon you. And you're like, oh, I just don't feel like getting up. The grace of God is so good. No, the grace of God is what is empowers you to get out of bed and attack the the day with grace and power. It's the empowerment to go out and do the works of God. It's not the empowerment to hit snooze and go back to bed. Listen, we do, we do this with kids all the time. How many of you have kids? Okay, you know when you ask them, "Hey, can we go to Walmart? Would you want to come with me to Walmart?" And they're like, "Nah, I don't want to go, Mom." I mean, I'm not saying they're toddlers; maybe teenagers. Okay, <laughs> cool. All right, but but what what we do is say, "Hey, come with me to Walmart." And and I, I I've known that I've done this in in. Uh, you know, I know kids that have done this. But we say, hey, come to Walmart with me. And they're like, oh, I don't really want to. Then all of a sudden they walk and they say, okay, I'll go with you to Walmart. Because they want to go see a game or something. You know what I mean? There's something they've been eyeing. So, yeah, I'll go with you. But don't we judge motives? We do that all the time with our own kids. But listen, you're not co-signing or uh, signing them to eternal damnation. You're just trying to get them to not be selfish. You're trying to say, no, when you go to grandma's house, it's not because you're going to get the cookies or you're not going to get this. You just want to go and spend time with them. That's the right motive. See, it's not condemnation. It's just tweaking. Now, if you think about all what all what we're talking about, once again, we need to get it here. We need to slow down and think about it here. Because, you know, when we get before God, I think we're going to have that aha moment. I mean, if you think about, think about how amazing the moment will be. We're standing before the King of glory. All that we have done on this earth, we will be standing before him like, Behold, behold him. I see why I should have did more. Not because he's, why you didn't do it? Because we see him in his glory and we say, man, Lord, you deserve 24 hours of my life. Look at the great price that you paid and look at what I did. I didn't, you know, I I told this before and I'll say it again. I remember having this dream. I was getting judged. I was in New Iberia at Booginley Plaza. Don't ask me how those things come together. But I'm sitting at a picnic table. I know that I'm about to stand before God. And in my mind, I remember so clearly thinking, what am I going to say? What, what, what do I tell Jesus Christ? And I remember feeling so anxious and nervous. And then it hit me. If the Lord were to say, why should I let you in? Because of you, Lord. Because of the penalty and price that you paid. Everything that I did, Lord, is nothing compared to what you did. I'm just sorry that I don't have more crowns to throw at your deserving feet. See, if we don't think that way, because we think, oh, man, I'm under grace. Grace is the empowerment. If If you get anything out of this message, think of that. It's the empowerment to go and touch lives. To change destinies in eternities. to, To preach the gospel. To tell others that Jesus Christ loves them. To take them from the fires of hell. To reach down. You know, like one preacher said, if people are going to hell, at least they could trip over our bodies going there. So if we think about it, all the Lord of glory, when we stand before him on that majestic day, what will you say to the Lord? Because what you do now will determine what is said to you later. Think about the man that owns his business. He, he put everything into his business. He built, built the business from the ground up. And when you think about if you work for the guy and you go there and you see the passion and the fire and the desire to make this business grow. And you're there like, I really don't care. How do you feel beside that person? So the passion that Jesus Christ exhibited the whole time he was on this earth, the passion that he continually fuels us with, when we're going to stand before him, we want to be able to give an account and be able to say, Lord, I, I left it all on the ground, on the earth. I left it all. I, I just wish I had more to give you. But then to talk about this, we need to go into the brothers and sisters, because this is another aspect you know, you know that you have some brothers and sisters that are a bit contentious, vexed, they love intense fellowship. You, you know what I'm talking about? Fellow brothers, fellow sisters, family. They love motocross, they love setting up obstacles and dirt in front of you and seeing how you react. You don't know what I'm talking about? <laughs> These things that I'm talking about right now, I'm talking about when you stand before God. And you know how these things that have happened in your life, maybe you were given a bad rep. Maybe somebody misread what you did. Maybe you didn't have a chance to defend yourself. You just stayed silent. And maybe your name was drugged through the mud. And people looked at you and said, man, like somebody lied on you. And and did something to you and you just said, you know what, the Lord's going to defend me. The Lord's going to take care of this. Have you been through that? Maybe in your own families, maybe even church members. Maybe, you know, you know I know that I've been through that in, in previous experiences. Listen, disputes come up. Things come up. You will be treated unfairly. People will read your motive wrong. False accusations will be railed against you at some point. That's just a, a proof positive that you're a card carrying member of the Christian faith as well as the humanity. Or maybe something happened to you that wasn't your fault and you took the lick. Am I, am I on, on, on the level here? Listen, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, do not go passing judgment before the time. Wait until the Lord comes who will bring both to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motive of men's hearts, that each man's praise will come from God. Listen, there are some things that happen to us in darkness. Some things that we don't deserve. The whys. You know those whys? Lord, why cancer at such a young age? Lord, why six miscarriages? Why the death of a child? Why this? Why that? The Lord of glory will give you the reasons. And His the words that come out of his mouth will instantly heal. You will not have anything in your mind that you say, well, Lord, I wouldn't have done it that way. Because listen, the Bible says, will not the Lord of glory do what is Right. So when we stand before God and the things that don't make sense, no answer whatsoever will make perfect sense in the presence of Jesus. And we will say, that's why. That's the better way, God. He will say, maybe, you know, with the death of this person, look how many people came to the Lord because of this. Came, came to myself because of this. This thing that happened in your life, look how many people saw that and look at the hundreds of people that got saved because that was in their mind when they were giving their life to me. And when you think about the Bema seat, it says that we will get our praise from the Lord. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the Lord calling you by name and telling, telling you that he is pleased with what you did? Listen, there is no greater sound that you will hear then the lord telling you that he is proud of you the painful path that you have traveled every bump in the road will make perfect and absolute sense before the lord you know we always need to strive to keep our motives pure to keep relationally pure between each other not to stir the pot and bring division listen Point number three, we will be judged fairly. Romans 2.11, for there is no partiality with God. See, Jesus has no special bend towards the rich, no special bend towards the poor. The rewards will look differently based on what we do. The Bible says in James that teachers and, and pastors will get a stricter judgment. But it does not mean that there's partiality as far as what is being discussed, motive, faithfulness. You see, God will give certain, uh, situations. He will, He will, you know, people that teach or preach, they speak to more people. They, they you know, sometimes they'll, they'll have a different type of influence. But with that, the higher the fall, the, the, the lower. I mean, the, the distance is wider and you could crush many people. That's why it's very good when you're serving God to walk with God, to be mindful that people are watching, that you cause them not to stumble. Number four, we will be judged alone. Romans 14, 12 through 13. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine that this to not put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. Listen, the key is not pattering, pattering, pattern, no, making a pattern. <laughs> not to pattern your life based on someone else's conviction. Pattern it on the word of God. Because we will give an account. I'm not, I'm not going to say, well, so-and-so did it, Lord, why can't I? I'm going to be standing by myself. Can I get personal with you? That's why I don't drink alcohol. It was a vice for me. It held me in bondage. It was something that I, I went to automatically. You know, because you get into the scripture. Can you drink? Can you not drink? I'm not going to go there, but I will say this. If, if you call me to come visit you or Pastor Todd, you call Pastor Todd, and if he had alcohol on his breath when he's coming pray for you, you don't know how much we drank. You don't know if we were partying. And listen, this is one thing that I know. What what people do in ministry, in a small amount, people will do in excess. Because see, people are already looking for an excuse to be inclined to go the way of the sinful nature. So I'm just telling you personally why I choose not to partake in things because my standard is, is the Bible in everything. I don't try to get a standard from someone else. And that's how we ought to live our lives. When we feel convicted about something, we need to listen and trust that the Lord of glory is moving us in a direction that, we, that he may not be moving in a certain area on somebody else. Because that's what we do. Well, brother, I just don't feel convicted. What have you prayed about it? Listen, if you pray about something, God will speak to you. The question is, do you want the answer? Do you want God to answer? That's the key. So I always try to make decisions based on what the Word of God says. Number five, he will judge us in grace and mercy because he is grace and mercy. Psalms 145, 8, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. Now, if you look in James two thirteen, 13, I love this scripture. This should be put On your window or on your on your mirror says there will be no mercy for those who have been shown mercy. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Now, there's no mercy at the great white throne judgment. It is what it is. You've made your decision before you left earth. So think about it. There is some type of mercy here that we will get and maybe a lack of whatever that means mercy by the way we've treated others. So you know what that tells me? Always bend towards mercy. Why? Because God is merciful to us. Romans ten seventeen. This is amazing when you think about it. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It says the word of Christ in this translation. But then in Acts, it says, And now I commend you to God that the word of his grace. So you see the word of Christ and the word of his grace. How do we know it's talking about Jesus? It says, because which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You know why Jesus can give us mercy? Because he drank the full cup of wrath upon himself. Now let me ask you a question. If you give somebody a gift, do you give them the gift and say, hold on, and hit the gift, break the gift and say, now, why would Jesus himself who has given us the perfect gift, which is his eternal life, has taken on our unrighteousness at the cross, why would he want to pour out wrath on something that he did? See, he knows the full weight of what he took upon himself. And he has given us the perfect gift of salvation. So we need to understand that creation, I mean, uh, that correction is not wrath or judgment. It's, it's not. It's giving an, a, an account. We do this in, in business. You know, you, you answer to someone. You're giving an account for something that was given to you. Now, what's the purpose? The Bema Seed Judgment's purpose is to evaluate us, to position us for the Millennial Kingdom. How are we going to serve in the Kingdom? Remember in Matthew 25, 21, he said, Well done, thy good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of the master. See, we won't be sitting on clouds playing harps. The kingdom of God will continue on and we will be serving in whatever capacity he sees fit. And it's going to be amazing to serve in the presence and beside the king, the king of kings. Amen. Now, what is Jesus looking for? We talked about motive. We talked about faithfulness. Because, you know, if you hear all of this, it's easy to feel kind of discouraged. Are are you feeling discouraged? That's not the intention. It's not to feel discouraged. You should be comforted. You should be comforted that when you stand before God, it will be gracious and merciful. Now, if you think about this, what is it? Is is it the maximum impact that you do for God? Or is it what he has given you to do? Remember this. Remember the lady that gave the mite, the two mites, the widow's mite. Do you not realize that that would not even put a dent in the temple, keep up? But Jesus said she gave all that she had. You see, when you look at that scripture, it's not the amount that you do. It's the faithfulness in which God calls you to do something. So, The Bible says that to be faithful with what we're given. Number two, how do we handle injustice? That will be something else we will deal with. Now think about this in Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Verse 12, it says, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. Some of you have been taking it on the chin because of your faith. The Bible says to, number one, pray for that person that is persecuting you. And, and you finish that off with rejoicing because great is your reward in heaven. Angels are writing everything down. And when that day comes, you will be rewarded for everything that you, that you took on in your life. Number three, we will be judged on our part, on our work for God. Remember the scripture when it talks about it was Apollos who watered. Uh, No, that that Paul planted, Apollos watered. Remember that scripture we talked about last week? I won't go into it again. But it says that each of, now he who plants and he who waters are one. But each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now think about that. God will say, you know, I've given you this talent. What have you done with it? You know, there are some people that have such outgoing personalities that they instantly make you feel at home. That is a talent and a gift that can be used mightily in the church. When people walk in broken, they need to see your smiling face shaking their hand and welcoming, welcome them in to the service. Because, you know, you hear every pastor that gets up here, they say they don't remember the messages, they remember the friendliness and the joy that they were shown as they walked through these doors. So every handshake that you've given, Every bulletin that you handed out is rewarded in heaven because you played a part in bringing them into the gospel as they sat in the pew feeling joy in their heart because of the experience they had in the foyer. And then when they walk in and they come to the Lord, God writes that down and puts that down to your account. Now let's look at the testing of the work. The Bible says, I'm going to go quickly here. The Bible says that everything will be judged by fire. It will be put in, in, in flames, and whatever is good will be like gold and precious jewels, and whatever is bad, impure motives, all of these things will be like wood, hay, and stubble. But the Bible says the smell of smoke will be upon you. It means you got in <laughs> by only what Jesus Christ did, which it is only what Jesus Christ did. But once again, you want to be able to give Jesus you want to be able to say, "Look, everything that you gave me, Lord, here." Why? Because I want to see Him smile. Is that your motive? Is the motive to be pleasing to the Lord? Because listen, you—I don't know how the crown thing works, but I can't imagine walking around with this big old thing of crowns on our head. I think it's there so we can throw at His feet. But listen, let me let me do a small caveat here. When you look at at wood and 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 rubble, you know, when we pop off at the mouth, that's like wood. It'll it, next to an inferno. It'll go up. You know why that's not valuable? Because it's the norm. You know what value is when we hold our tongue? Because that's not the norm. That's value. That's like gold and precious stone because it's not something that you see all the time. If you go to the store, don't you know that when you have things that are le- they have less of, they can hike, hike height pri- the price up of it. But when something is valuable, it's more expensive, it's less in commodity. Instead of going around defaming someone or engulfing someone in gossip or anything like that, we stay to ourselves. We pray about a situation, and I know that's hard when the flesh gets in the way. But we will be, when it says we will be judged for our words, I think that's what the Bible talks about. When we held our tongue, it'll be like precious gold and silver. The fire will, pr- will show what the fake is. Now, what are the crowns? Whereas there's a crown of rejoicing. This is for someone who, if you led someone or discipled them in the faith. So if any of you have discipled someone, have led them to the Lord, have witnessed to the Lord, the Bible says you get a crown of rejoicing. Then there's the crown of glory. This is for a pastor or a teacher or an elder in, in teaching the word of God. Number three, the crown of righteousness. Every Christian receives this because they're the righteousness through Christ. And number four, the crown of life in James 1 and 2. This is the crown we receive for enduring trials and temptation and testing. We will have that also because I know that we go through some trials. I know that we go through some through some things where we just grit our teeth and, and bear down and wait for it to pass. But then there's a crown of victory. Or they call it a crown of mastery or the imperishable crown. This is a reward for discipline for those that have denied the faith, the faith, overcome struggles that they have been plagued with on this earth. So you see yourselves in these crowns. You see what you will receive. But when, when you get this wonderful crowns, these wonderful crowns, you will throw them at Jesus' feet and you will say, you gave me the power. You did this. I want you to see the grace of God is so powerful because the grace that he gives, we get to live the grace out. And when we stand before God and we get to, you know, we stand before God, don't be fearful. Yes, reverent, but not fearful. When we stand before God, it will be, Lord, thank you. I tell you this all the time. I can't wait to grab Jesus by the face and say, thank you for saving me from that sinful lifestyle. Thank you for all the things that you did. Thank you for the protection. Thank you for the healing that you gave my body when I needed it. Thank you for the provisions. Thank you for the time that you sent your angels to get my car back on the road when I was driving drunk. Thank you for the time that you spared family members. Thank you for all the time. Thank you for saving me. Won't you live like that now? Now's the time, not later. Not not when you're standing before God and you're like, oh, man, I, I meant to do this. I wanted to do this. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I think of this so much in my mind. Live your life today so you can make Jesus smile. So when that day comes, you stand before God and be like, oh, yeah, here we go. Not in a prideful way, in a happy way, like, Lord, here, here's everything that you gave me to do. How should we live? John 9, 4, we must work the works of him who sent me. As long as it is day, night is coming when no man can work. Can we stand? You know, Diane Sawyer was interviewing Billy Graham. And she asked him a question. And she said, what do you hope God will say to you on that day when you stand before him? And he said, I want God to tell me, well done, thy good and faithful servant. But then he said, but I don't think he will. I mean, we're talking about Billy Graham, led millions and millions of people to the Lord. And he said, but I don't think he will. You know what he was looking at? Motive. He was looking at, I could have did more. He's look, he was looking at the times that he, he wasn't passionate about the Lord. Or, or maybe there were times when he did it out of obligation. We don't know the man's heart, but we do know the fruit that he did. And it was tremendous. But for him to say that, what, what do we say now? Man, if Billy Graham's thinking that, listen, God called Billy Graham to preach to millions. And God will deal with whatever he did. And, and he will line it up to that ledger. And I believe God will tell him, well done, thy good and faithful servant. But he will also put you there and you will give an account for everything. The Lord will say, you remember that guy at work that he was crying? I wanted you to tell him about me because I was moving on his heart. But remember, you, you didn't feel good that day because that thing that you were dealing with that I was working on, and you remember, if you remember right, it worked out but this is what it cost. I don't want to hear that from the Lord. I want, I want the Lord to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're dealing with, but I just want to say this, whatever you are doing for the Lord, keep on and always look at yourself always question what you're doing. Say, Lord, is this pleasing to you? Lord, am I doing exactly what you wanted me to do? Lord, I pray that you would open the door, that you would speak clearly, that, you know, you tell him things like, Lord, speak for thy servant is listening. God, if you want me to talk to someone, make the way, move on my heart, be plausible, let your heart be, be mush of grace. Father, we just thank you right now that we are in your kingdom, that you do have plans and purposes. God, we thank you for the grace that you give us to serve you, and Father, we are looking once again at the time when we can stand before you and say, thank you, Lord, and that we can hear those words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Now, you may be here and say, Kelly, I feel kind of discouraged by that message. Listen, It's better to be discouraged here than be discouraged there. But this is what happens when you start to see and start to train your mind to think. Right believing, when you start to believe right, you will begin to make the necessary judgments. So maybe you can say, Kelly, I don't think, I've blown it in many areas. This is what I want you to do. Just simply ask the Lord, Lord, forgive me forgive me, cleanse me of unrighteousness, cleanse me for wasting an opportunity. But Lord, I ask you that you would open up the doors, that you would open up my eyes, open up my ears, that I would always live my life with eternity in mind. Because Father, my desire is to give you those crowns, to give you the joy of seeing your servant stand before you. So Father, I just thank you tonight. Lord, I thank you that The gospel has gone forth. God, I I pray that it has been planted in their hearts, in their minds. And God, I pray that you would bring the fruit and that you would allow them to operate in grace. Father, I bless them tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus. Keep them, hold them, work on them, work on me, and continually move us forward for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask. And the church said amen and amen. Praise God. Praise God.